Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want to get I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you have Hello there and uh, good evening. Welcome to NASCA, the Child of Peace Now uh, Blog Talk Radio Show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria Kelly, and I'm your host for this evening, and my co-host is Vinny. We are on scan number 3249, and I'm excited to introduce you our special guest this evening. However, first, we have a single purpose at NASCA, which is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent, or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society, Get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, or CSA. Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the main issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are on number 3249. And if you'd like to be a part of the panel this evening, please call 646-595-2118. And my co-host will meet you on the back line and ask if you'd like to ask a question or have anything to say. And we'd love to have you join us and support our guests and join in the conversation. And our special guest this evening is Jaime Romo um, from San Diego, an educator, consultant, author, and minister who promotes prevention and healing for childhood sexual abuse particular abuse by religious authorities or in the context of religious settings. A workbook he wrote, Healing the Sexually Abused Heart, a workbook for survivors, survivors and supporters, is an integration of various disciplines that allow Jamie to become a certified dramatic incident reduction facilitator. Jamie explains, while it's no secret that I am a survivor of clergy abuse, it's the journey of integration, transformation, and application that is most telling about my accomplishments and the life that I celebrate. Visit his website at www.jaimeromo.org. On these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts to remember professionals, professionals who will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call and participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help 
them uh, guide the discussions on issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality. That brings some questions and topics brought to you, um, our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. Please visit the NASCA NASCA.org website. So, without further ado, hello there, hi, and how are you this evening? I'm I'm well, thank you. Um, I always appreciate the work of this group, formally and informally, all the work that you know, members uh, do to help each other to heal and grow. So, thank you. Yes. Thank you for being on tonight. Joy having you. So uh, we were talking earlier, and you did have a topic that you wanted to bring up and discuss? Um, I do. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, I mean, trauma is really kind of a worldwide pandemic. I mean, we've inherited you know, so much from previous generations, and there are individual experiences and collective and you know so all of it uh really really matters and um i think one of the the biggest uh, impacts of trauma is that we can disconnect from our own sense of who we are our own sense of uh purpose and you know meaning of like what does my life mean and and so I'll just share briefly, in, before offering this, this reflection or, or poem, um, the context. I mean, because I don't think my, what I internalized from the abuse that I experienced, you know, some of that was uh, neglect, some of that was just, um, you know, poverty and things that um, I didn't have. And some of it was, you know, an alcoholic environment, that, so there was a lot of violence and there was um, a lot of negative uh, communication, um, and then there was a sexual abuse as well, layered on top of all of that. Um, and and I think the disconnect for me was that I was a person of worth, um, and that I had that I was a person who had some um, who who had some enough worth that I didn't have to prove my worth. So my coping mechanism after being abandoned and abused and wrapped in shame was, I think, to abandon myself in a way and overachieve. And so I went to private high school across town on scholarship. We could never have afforded it. I went to a private university, went to Stanford, and that was, you know, all very driven by getting away from wherever I grew up. And still, and then afterwards, whatever degrees or positions I had um, in education, and I still I carried around this deep shame. And so the the healing process has been to believe and be present, you know, believe in my worth, and not just in my head, but, you know, deep, um, to be present to myself, to be good to myself, and then to acknowledge. Um, and so that's the That can be a, a long road for many of us. <laughs> long road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's that's the context that is not – I think unique and I think a lot of people might um, feel like uh, that they've had to abandon themselves in some way or they've, you know, haven't treated themselves well or they haven't been proud of themselves. In fact, they may have felt shame and so on. Um, and so here's this reflection. Um, 
I'm just going to open this as a, kind of more than a rhetorical question. Like, if we don't really believe this, like deep in our our bones, in our cells, because we've had the muscle memory of internalizing so much negative, um, maybe what what's some ways that we can get closer to this deep sense of being enough, of being sacred. Um, so here it is. You are a miracle walking. I greet you with wonder. In a world which seeks to own your joy and your imagination, you have chosen to be free every day as a practice. I can never know the struggles you went through to get here, but I know you have swum upstream and at times it's been lonely. I want you to know I honor the choices you made in solitude, and I honor the work you have done to belong. I honor your commitment to that which is larger than yourself. In your journey to love the particular container of life that is you, you are enough. Your work is enough. You are needed. Your work is sacred. You are here, and I am grateful. That's a reflection by Adrienne Marie Browner. Wow. Awesome. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so for a long time, yeah, I didn't, I mean, in my head, maybe I thought I was good. There was a time where I, I had a very deep kind of spiritual awakening and that resulted in feeling like, oh yeah, everything is sacred, but it was it was disembodied. It was not connected, and it it was without having resolved a lot of wounds, a lot of a lot of trauma, and and so the journey has been to fully face the things that have maybe led to a disconnect or led to shame, and uh, integrate so that that kind of reflection of being sacred and being enough is real. Um, so I guess that's where I wanted to start and invite you know, others' journeys. And Yeah. Well, you mentioned not liking yourself. <clears throat> I got to the point of hating myself because I'm wanting to do self-harm. I used to cut at myself and uh, um, wanting to die. You know, mm-hmm. wanted to stop, and uh, I just I didn't want to die because I wanted to I wanted to be out of this world because the pain was so bad, you know. Yeah. And I I didn't succeed fortunately because I'm in a holding place now, you know. But like huh. I said, it's a long journey, you know. You don't just get yeah. from hating to loving yourself, <laughs> you know. You know, yeah. overnight revelation. <laughs> And, you know, some people say, you tell me to stand in front of them and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But, you know, that's just not right for them, you know. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of things you could say that just, you know, you're the most fantastic person in the world, you know. Uh, you could say, I'm proud of you, you know, and yeah. we're going to have a great day today, you know. Something positive. I know when I post on the negative that kind of gets me down a rabbit hole. I get thinking of all kinds of negative stuff. And uh, not that, you know, you have to ignore when you're going through a hard time because we all have bad days. 
But um, yeah. I used to have bad days, bad months, bad years. Now I have bad moments. And, yeah. You know, there's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I want to highlight that, that the feeling, you know, when we're in the midst of a deep um, pain, mm-hmm. we want it to stop. And then so plenty yeah. of writers... The, you know, Gabor Mate is the, the myth of normal, and uh, Bruce Perry and Oprah have that book, um, uh, What Happened to You? And all those, yeah. you know, they just describe, you know, what so many know that um, people cope in different ways. We want the pain mm-hmm. to stop. And so maybe it's numbing, or maybe it's these certain behaviors that are distracting, but I mean, yeah. That's that's a, a big motivator that um, sure a lot of people will do anything to make it stop. Yeah. Well, I have a good thing to tell you guys. Um, two days from now, Saturday, I'll have 37 years sober from drugs and alcohol. What a beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> That's a lifetime. Thank you, man. Everybody says, that's a lot of one days at a time. I said, no, it's one of one moment at a time. Matter of fact, yeah. whenever I put how many years I have sober, I go out and Google and Google how many seconds is that. And uh, I put down how many seconds I have instead of how many years. And I said, you know, hmm. every second I had to make a decision not to use. There were many seconds of those years that I had to hmm. make a choice, you know, because it can only take a moment to lose it all. Yeah. But I, I have a poem I'd like to read to you. This is one I wrote. And Thank it's you, called yeah. yeah. The Strength of a Warrior Woman. I gather hope from hearing the struggles of those who have walked similar paths. Fragments of their stories parallel in mine. I grasp onto their words for the portion I savor as they saturate and find their soul. I have been told I am courageous that I have survived against unbeatable odds. Yet, when I find myself alone with my thoughts and my memories, survival is just not enough. My inner voice and my guides speak to me. They whisper their truths and teach my mind and fill my heart. I am more comfortable being with myself. Then the peaceful moments come as the phrase is passing through my being. My energy is kept, creativity flows and is safer in the campus. I never knew how to love myself, for my needs were not to be met. Given away, I always wondered what an awful baby I must have been. The voice from the mother of all ages insists that I have always been wanted and loved. The tears from days gone by swell up in my eyes and harden in my throat. Trapped inside are hopes I wonder if I shall ever see. When I am in need, the phone seems so far away, hanging cold and silent out of reach on the wall. I push myself off the chair, forcing moving, movement, grasp hand of hope and trust. I seek out numbers from people who have promised to be there for me even when I am down, sinking into my depression. The phone's voice is a tone of emptiness and fear, tormenting my ears, soaking into my brain, yet I gain the courage to dial. Sparks fly through my senses and a voice reawakens my belief that I need not struggle alone anymore. Words flowing like music, you are accepting it just as I am. Not trying to put band-aids on me, not trying to cover my pain. 
barring suggestions not shutting me up. There are no cliches, no insistent bands. A listening concern, support a vocal tone, causes me to believe that I deserve to live too happy and that things will be okay. For you can hear my story and not try to make it go away, not tell me to forget, not silence my anger or tears, giving me permission to feel to the depths of my soul. Your acceptance helps me to believe that I have not gone crazy, that I can live with all my reality, accepting the past a moment at a time. As I am now just feeling again, your words are unlike those who judge and blame. You find our commonalities showing me our struggles, holding many shared feelings. Your courage helps me to see the courage in myself. Your hope opens my eyes to the great opportunity of today. Living through in the moment fills my heart with joy. Knowing I have survived another crisis, knowing the caring concern moves through the phone lines, filling my entire being. Help me to now take out my hidden writings, which have remained in storage, the ones I've been afraid to let another person's eyes see, another one judge. Help me transform them into rays of hope to others. I return to my writing and drawing, hoping to each day somehow tap into the strength and compassion which I've been privileged to receive. I discover my truths and weave words and ideas to share a bit of the gifts which I have gained. I try to give freely of myself the joy which I have found. O oh, Mother of the Earth, remind me to visit nature. Stand sure-footed on your sacred soil. Remind me of my roots. Give me strength. Nourish me up through the ground. Enlighten me with the wisdom and lives of the warrior women who have come gone before me. Remind me of your love that speaks through the voices and from the souls of the ones you have sent me. Those who give their gifts really sharing their secrets hidden beneath layers of pain, opening up their wounds for a chance to help another. Inviting the exchange of words, mixing souls together, transforming the beauty of the moment into the memories of a life, into the history of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Thing. Very Thank nice. You. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully that'll be one of the poems that's going to be in my book. <laughs> in my book. <laughs> I've got um, two women writing my story. There are two women studies mm-hmm. professors on Oregon that heard that I had written a book, and it was just a book I put together, writings, and that was one of the writings in it. And they wanted to help. she wanted to help promote it. And I said, well, uh, it's not really a book. It's just something I photocopied and sold 90 copies, so I had enough money to photocopy many more to give away, you know. <laughs> Laminated the cover of a picture when I was a year old called The Journey Within. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, she said, oh, I'd like to buy a copy. I said, oh, well, when email came out, I just got an email and it people, you know. <laughs> she also she's like, will you email me one? And I go, sure. Well, then she contacted me again and said her and her, um, go, uh, you know, both of my uh, professors at this university, they would like to do a book, like my story told to them. And they would use some of my writings and um, drawings and stuff that I've done. And uh, hmm. so I sent them a whole bunch of stuff, and then I grabbed all my journals and you know, all the stuff I've written, oh, and I boxed them up and sent them to them. <laughs> it's like, I try to write a book so many times, and because I had MPD, there's different personalities that wrote in there, and I mean, mm-hmm. not know where to start or anything, you know. So I was just like, oh, thank God. Somebody's going to take these off my hands. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, so scary. and I'm like, you know, the only point of me writing anything, you know, was for me to get it out and then hide it. <laughs> like I said, I had to take it out of hiding. 
and and then to want to publish it, now, you know, it would have never gotten done if these women hadn't said we'll do it, you know. And uh, but anyway, so I said even if they do, I said the most important part to me was to help other survivors know they weren't alone. And the second thing was for anybody that wanted to help survivors, and then the third part is anybody that's just curious. I'd like to have it all in a book so that I don't have to keep, you know what I mean? If somebody just is like yeah. interested, you know, then I, I yeah. wouldn't have to, like, you can read the book and you don't miss nothing kind of thing. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, I, I'm just happy if it gets out there, to tell you the truth. That's my hope. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's that's one exciting. Yeah. yeah. You know, they've got, I don't know, they had three New York publishers interested, and they just got the editors working on it, and they were ready to get the chapter in, and they picked the publisher, and I don't know. They said that, you know, i get whatever out of it, and they're just going to take out what time they put into doing it, you know. And I get the rest. Oh, I would have crossed them out, crossed them out. What's the difference, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, kind of just give up a lot of stuff and just trust that maybe she is telling you the truth. <laughs> and if they're not, then blow with it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope um, that really that evolves and becomes. Yeah, yeah. Becomes something. Yeah. And something um, good will, has already love it because I've been able to share more of my story, you know, and people know that, yeah, you know, I, I'm getting a rip, book wrote on my story, but there's other people that have gotten books published and, you know, to encourage them to read other people's stories as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was just thinking it's it's a beautiful met, metaphor in that, you know, there's our own experience and our own sorting things out and, and expressing or in writing and so on. And then, you know, other people might see something um, from a different perspective. And we, you know, in writing, we revise. Right? Good writing is all right. about lots of hard revi- revision. Um, mm-hmm. And this can send me a metaphor about our lives. I mean, we, we have the kind of the raw material and then we have some insider way of thinking about it, but then we have to revise. And maybe other people have some perspective um, that eventually it, it evolves. It, and um, the idea that it can reach others, I mean, our stories are always interconnected. Um, right. There's a, a, a great song when the chorus says, um, what you need, I need to, who you are, I am to, we're all the same under a different name. You know, oh, I mean, like there's that. something important about yeah. each of our experiences can offer, um, you know, some insight or an entry point for someone else to know, as you mm-hmm. said, that you're not alone. Yeah. yeah. Community is how how we heal. So this is uh, another way of letting yourself you know, be taken up in community, and, and I hope that uh, they honor that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've been working together for a couple of years, and we've done a bunch of uh, meetings together. And matter of fact, we got all the journal center. Um, she says, oh, my goodness, we have more than one book here. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, that's great, you know, because 
I've got my survivor story from cancer and kidney failure and, you know, a lot of different things that I've been through that, uh, mm-hmm. that you know, I've told the different stories here and there at AA, whether I'm the speaker or in a meeting, and I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, wow, you really inspired me, you know. Went through all that cancer and you didn't drink, you know, <laughs> mm. or you went through this or that loss or that struggle or whatever, and how did you stay sober? And I'm like, well, I didn't drink. Went to meetings with my sponsor. I, you know, didn't act like things. Just you know, the stuff they tell you that's stupid, but it's really real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, still, you know, people ask me, why after all these years you still go to meetings? And I says, well, I go to meetings so I can share with other people, but I also still go to meetings for me. I've seen too many people yeah. put 10 years, 15, 30, whatever, and they go back out um, because they forgot. It's <laughs> the way I look at it, you know, because I can get back into thinking like, even to this day, you know, I can get back to thinking. You know, I bet I can mm-hmm. pick up a drink and drink like a normal person. <laughs> mm. Mm. You yeah. Know. Well, and so, uh, people like Bruce Perry, people like, uh, uh, of course, uh, Gobo Mate, others, researchers will, will say that, of course, these are uh, addictions are the end result, not the starting mm-hmm. point. Um, the end result of you know trauma and things that uh, wounds that that uh, where there's no blood, where yeah. um, person has coped in different ways and sought outside themselves for well, you talked in the beginning connection. too about the generational the generational mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I saw my parents, I saw my grandparents, I saw family mm-hmm. members and their friends. The way they dealt with issues that that were child was drinking and using drugs yeah. and and yeah. not being responsible at all, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I always felt that I had to be the responsible one and keep everything together, you know, all the time. Mm. I mean, I was really the parent. <laughs> yeah. You know, most of the time, and uh, I used to think until I got into Ellen, and I used to think that we were. And then that's when my grandparents drank, and then I realized we were poor because they drank. <laughs> we had a lot yeah. more money if they had been drinking it away <laughs> all weekend yeah. and you know every night. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, it's amazing that you know when you like you know it's a whole different reality when you start looking at you know what facts that really was going on. And I sent my brother a meme one time that said um, the black sheep of the family is usually the one telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And so I would talk to him, and he hadn't gotten it yet. So I said, "Hey, I sent you something." He says, "The black sheep of the family is used to the one telling the truth." Took him a few minutes. He goes, "Oh, I guess there was a black sheep of the family." <laughs> I know you sure were, because yeah. <laughs> he was always getting in trouble for telling. telling when both tell, you know. He told me and my brothers because he lived with um, my aunt, so we were told we were cousins. Mm. But when he was with my brother, you know, and I had my other brother was living with me, so he told us that we were brothers and sister, you know, and he got mm-hmm. in big trouble with that. Matter of fact, I asked him if he'd um, speak one night on uh, on the radio show. I him mm-hmm. to be a guest, and uh, he said he would. He's got to wait till things calm down, but you know, he said he'd come on. 
My phone or your phone, but you're kind of crackling. Can you, are you hearing everything okay? Um, I hear a little bit of interruption. Yeah, it's kind of crackling on your end. I mean, yeah, there's something I, with your reception. Hmm, I may be are in you a on speaker phone, honey? Right now I'm on speaker. I just took out my little headpiece. I'm no mm-hmm. longer driving. Now you sound good. Right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, a minute on to a different location. Hopefully, that will be um, yeah. also. But, but, um, but this, this Victor Frankel, you know, he survived, you know, the Holocaust, and what an incredible, you know, life of suffering and loss and grief and trauma, and, um, and. But what he says in this quote reminds me kind of what you're saying, Victoria. I mean, you have all this life experience. Um, He says, what you've experienced, no power on earth can take from you. Not only our experiences, but all we've done, whatever great thoughts we may have had, and all that we've suffered, all this is not lost, though it's past. We have brought it into being. Having been is also a kind of being, and perhaps the surest kind. Um... You've you've been all kinds of things, and mm-hmm. um, and it sounds to me like you know all of those have been a part of learning and growth and becoming a resource and and I think having insight that um, as painful as it may have been mm-hmm. wouldn't have have come otherwise, and so you can be a resource for others. Yeah, and your story is really uh, rich and um, yeah so this more than than surviving I mean I think uh, we overemphasize that I mean of course we sometimes that's the best we can do is just get through something mm-hmm. um, but there is post-traumatic growth and that's yeah. what I, I hope people can can have more and more and, and I hope your story you know, we'll help people have that. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I'd, um, I had uh, published uh, one of my poems in uh, One in a Battered Woman's um, Seal and then one for Whisper, which is the organization I worked with, which was Women, Heart, and Systems of Prostitution Engaged in Revolt, like we had an opinion. And the other was Organized Against Pornography. I had published it three times. And then Take Back the Night, something that was on the board for that, ended up asking me if I'd read it, I'd take back the night, and I read it. And, um, and boy, I say, you know, speak your truth even if your voice shakes. I tell you, when my voice shook, I shook, 
I cried through the whole thing, and I'm sure nobody understood it. And I got off the stage, and people came up to me and thanked me for saying that and how much they could relate to it. And right at that moment, I thought, I've got to keep writing, you know, and I've got to get those poems and those writings I've written before and get them get them out of storage or, you know, I was going through my, all my papers, my worker, and I was, we were organizing and I said, yeah, that goes in that file and this is for that, and this is for that, and he's putting them in files and, and every once in a while I'd grab a paper and shove it to the side, shove it to the side, and he's like, what are you doing with those papers? What are those? And I said, oh, those are just some poems I wrote and some writings I wrote. He goes, would you read me one? I said, sure. So I read him one. He goes, that's really good. He says, uh, I'm putting a together buying for people with mental health issues, mental illness at the time. And uh, he says, I was wondering, would you want to put, you know, one of your poems in there? And I said, yeah, I guess I could. So anyway, we went around to different drop-in centers. He had gotten a grant through this Minnesota Arts or something. And um, we put together this, this journal for three years in a row. People put their writings in there and artwork. And that's back when there were word processors. So they were mailing them in to the church where we're teaching people how to do word processors. People gave us their, you know, computer, whatever you want to call it at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, he took them all up because they, they couldn't do that and didn't like the grammar and all that. So, yeah, that was really cool, you know. But mm. so here's that here's that quick poem. It's called Cakes. It's, wait a minute, that's not one I'm wondering. Hold on. Um, hold on, Ned. Yeah, is it? Were you going to share another? Yeah, I'm trying to find it here. Okay, yeah, it's called Who's a Prisoner? Do you know what it's like to be protected only in the presence of closed shades and locked doors? Even then, at times, feel safe. Daddy walks around going wherever he may please. I once was a prisoner, but he still holds the keys. The law says he can't harm me. The time goes slowly by. The, do they know the torture that's so present with every chair I cry? I can tell them how much it hurts me to know they let him roam. Do they know I'm still in prison, the place I should call home? The law was meant to protect me, yet it's so unfair. I wait and cry for justice as my abuser roams and breathes the air. Hmm. Like I said, it wasn't a very long poem, and I, but mm-hmm. you know, I didn't think I was going to get through it. <laughs> mm. When I got there, people, I wasn't even going to get up on stage to do it. I'm like, there's too many people up there. There's no way, you know. And I had never really gotten up in front of anybody and said anything about my incest story. Yeah. At that point, that was years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, I, I happen to be reading the book. Um, what is it? Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson. Mm-hmm. You know he's a he's an attorney in Alabama who has the Equal Justice Initiative, which is about you know dealing with people on on death row who uh, often have uh, you know are falsely accused or just had they shouldn't be you know where yeah. they are to talk about prisoners and talk about torture. And, yeah. and justice. Um, what what helped you to um, 
become more free. I mean, it doesn't happen just individually, right? <laughs> well, part of it was uh, I stayed inside my house when, when I stayed for him in 21. Stayed in my house for three years. So I was. I did feel totally, physically and physically. Mm-hmm. And uh, just just going out, you know, to the store and stuff was a big deal. My grandparents were bringing me in groceries and, you know, things I needed and taking out my trash. I mean, I, could, I would not leave my house. Scared to death he was out there because he said, you know, if I don't find you, I'll send somebody to find you. So I was afraid to make any friends or anything, you know. So what I did do when I started working, I, I ended up going to a better women's shelter after my son. I would start going out, and then I met my son's father. He was abusive, and I ended up in a better women's shelter. That's when I started volunteering with better women's shelter, and that helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. to be in there and just get some information about abuse. Mm-hmm. That was really, you know, naive. You know, I I figured abuse was getting smacked in the face, you know, and that had, mm-hmm. none of that had happened ever in my life. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't see myself as an abuse victim, really. Um, sure. And, you know, it just, I think a lot of times it's learning, you know, different definitions, you know. Like when I first went to the police, you know, the, the, guy, the cop asked me, you know, what um what happened and the first thing I said was, Well, I was at my dad's house and he made love to me. <laughs> mm. So he told me you know, that's what he he called it and that's what I had to call it. And so he stopped me right there and he says, Hold on a minute, I'm gonna rewind the tape <laughs> I thought, What the hell is he doing? you know, I thought we we're gonna get this over with And so he goes, I'm gonna ask you that question in a different way. He says, uh uh, when you're going over to your dad's uh you got over there, did you want to have sex with him? And I said, absolutely not. So that's what was on the tape instead I went over and, you know, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes it's learning the definitions. Mm-hmm. But also having people that have been through it, to me, was very important. Not necessarily I did go psychiatrists and therapists, and stuff, mm-hmm. but the most important thing was meeting other survivors because they didn't feel yeah. like such an oddball, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, so alone and so confused, and everyone else was in that group was confused too. <laughs> I went to the park group, and and we all had one of the same issues: the dissociation, the trauma, the flashbacks. You know, all that. Mm-hmm. Nobody else would have really understood it. You know, I mean, yeah. mind it, but they wouldn't. Have, they don't usually explain to you what's going on. Um, I'd had really good uh, psychologists. I ended up being diagnosed with MPD versus mm-hmm. borderline personality disorder, which was a wrong diagnosis. And I had MPD. And in the end, they found out I had like 30 personalities and fragments. And so I was switching all the time. Yeah. And these different personalities were doing things. And I didn't know what was going on half the time or more than half the time. I'd lose months and weeks and days and years and mm. I wouldn't know what was going on. And that was horrible. Especially when I was, you know, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder because when I was in the psych ward, they'd write down, doing this or that attention, I'd crawl under the table and start shaking and whimpering, and they'd write down all the yeah. to get attention. Well, when I finally diagnosed me with MPD, they wrote down, she crawled under the table when she's in a dissociative state. Right. You know, and they'd be really kind to me. <laughs> yeah. There's a really different way that people deal with you depending on your levels. 
and that's why yeah. they, they you know, put the put the person before the label, and um, you know some people will say, well, he's a schizophrenic or whatever, whatever I used to say. I'm a multiple, you know, and then I learned to say, you know, I was diagnosed with um, um, PD, you know, and called dissociative identity disorder. Now, um, I had my son was diagnosed with ADHD, so I'd always say, I'm an ADHD kid. And they said, put your child before the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The person before the diagnosis. Make sure you say it's a diagnosis. That's not what they are. You're not your diagnosis. It's like when I'm cancer, somebody would say, she's cancer. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, she's borderline. No, she's yeah. not borderline. She's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, you know, or she's diagnosed. There's a real big difference in, you know, even the way we say it about ourselves, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just in a conversation um, yesterday. It was uh, somebody who was looking at uh, disabilities as other abilities because mm-hmm. in so many ways, you know, people developed different uh, strength, skills, competencies, resilience, mm-hmm. any number of things as part of, okay, I can't do one thing, so now I have other. But it was part of that was yeah. saying, yeah, we're, people may have a condition, but they're not that condition, right. not that disability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend wanted to make a shirt that says, don't diss my ability. <laughs> mm. I mm-hmm. thought that was cool because <laughs> just think of, let's focus on all the abilities we have, you know, and we have the ability yeah. to get through the uh, disability, you know, we have a lot of abilities, we have a lot of coping skills, we have a lot of things that we succeed and, you know, succeed at that I would have never thought I could, I would have never thought I could, you know, get on a black radio show with me, oh, you know. Um, never yeah. thought I could step and speak in front of people or, you know, even get my poems out of the boxes I have them in. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. and then I went to AA. Um, my sponsor saw me guzzling out of a bubble and says, oh, Victoria, you think you might be an alcoholic? They go, oh, yeah, I know I'm an alcoholic, but I'm one of those alcoholics who can't be helped. And she said, oh, what kind of alcoholic is that? <laughs> yeah. Of course, she didn't ask me on the next day because it's really not helpful to talk to an alcoholic when they're drinking. <laughs> right. You know, but uh went to an AA meeting with her, and I've been sober ever since. <laughs> but yeah. it was, I don't know, I always say she, she loved me before I could love myself. And I think that's a big part of it is, you know, caring about people where they're at. Yeah. You know, say that God cares about you right where you're at right now, you know. And, you know, if we, if we believe that and we're supposed to be, you know, in the image of God or whatever, then we should be caring about people right where they're at and try, not trying to mm. change them. You know, just loving them right where they are. Yeah, of course. I mean, that that is compassionate, right? That's right. Not, yeah. And that's at the heart of, I, I would think, any any authentic, true tradition is compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. And then it goes to compassion for yourself, you know, because a lot of survivors they do all kinds of wonderful things for other people. And for me it was like I was on the bottom of the list. And I tell you yeah. what, 
everybody else came first, and I came never. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Because there was always somebody that had more need than I did, in my opinion. You know, even when I had barely a little money and I was out on the street homeless, if I seen somebody that looked worse off than me, I'd give them my money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to come because I knew where my next note was coming from. I knew where it's a good place to go get food. <laughs> yeah. Or I'd, I'd tell them where the good food place was, you know. And, and that kind of, um, it's it's generous, definitely, but it's also a kind of uh, self-neglect. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. to me, that relates to, you know, if, if I have a disconnect to my own body, to my own needs, to my own worth, then, yeah. I mean, I can seem nice and generous, you know, to give everything and not take care yeah. of myself. Um yeah, no, I, well, I say that. Well, yeah, you don't deserve it, you know. Like, yeah. um, I was at one point where I didn't deserve, I didn't think I deserved food, shelter, clothing, or even to breathe the air because I felt like taking you away from somebody else. I mean, that's pretty, you know, feeling pretty shitty about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's, it makes sense, though. I mean, that's kind of where I yeah. started. I mean, we internalize these things that happen to us, and we come up with that conclusion, which is not a matter of being, not being intelligent. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I hear a lot of times people, you know, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Well, I felt I must have been pretty damn bad, you know. And then when I'm in a meeting, a guy said that, and it's about three people popped after him. And I said, well, must have been pretty bad then to be raped as an infant. Must have been a pretty mm. bad infant, you know. And everybody just looked at me. <laughs> And then yeah. he never said that in a meeting. And he always said it in a meeting. He always said that into his little blurb that would say when it's his turn, you know. He never said that again. And, you yeah. know. But, yeah, and just, you know, like like for me now, I've got a house and this and that, you know, and my son made a condition that I can't let anybody stay here that doesn't have a place to live. <laughs> yeah. That's really hard for me. Sure. Um, well. Because I don't have an extra room, but, you know, I have a couch, I have the floor space, you know. <laughs> yeah. But now I can say my son said I can't, you know. <laughs> right. But well, it's that's... almost like I need that. <laughs> I shouldn't just be able to say stuff, you know, somebody would bring something up that, you know. I really didn't want to do her or whatever, and I'd, I'd literally have to say, I don't think my daughter's going to think that's a good idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because it well, was really yeah. hard for me to say no. So, like, me and my girlfriend will practice saying no. And I and we just bring up, like, really things like, hey, would you come over and uh, scrub my uh, kitchen floor with a toothbrush? Just to practice. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, no. It it may sound, you know, playful, silly, but actually right. it it requires a, a ego strength, you know, to be able to say no. This is me, this is it, not me. Yeah. This is good for me. This is not good for me. Right. Well, it's like retraining your brain. I mean, you've got for me, I had all these automatic responses. You know, growing up in a functional alcoholic sexually abused home 
Um, mm-hmm. And I was in a psych ward one time, and I was sitting with these people. I first got in there, this group of people, so I just sat down. And, and the one guy told me, you see that girl over there by the window? And I said, and I noticed, I said, yeah. And they said, she's really crazy. And I'm thinking, we're all sitting here in a psych ward locked up, but, you know, what we're doing, you know, people who's crazier or whatever, you know. I thought, well, I can go back to her. I <laughs> guess they're going to be saying that I'll be pretty soon. Especially if she I'll be that one. You know, so I went over to talk to her, and we were talking. Finally, she said, what is your mother's name? I told her, and she goes, oh, my God, we're cousins. Her mm. second cousin. Yeah, and she had been uh, uh, insulted by uh, her uncle. And ran away at 15 because he got put in jail even back then, which we're talking, I don't know, 40 years ago. And so you, it's, it must have been horrible. And uh, anyway, he got out and they gave him a party. I don't know why. I guess he was had good behavior in jail or something. I'm not sure. They gave him a party and she was there. And all of a sudden they both disappeared. And they went looking for him. And he was up raping her in a room. And... Uh, I guess all the guys decided that uh, Jill wasn't going to do them any good, so they just all beat the shit out of them. She took off, and that's the last time she went home. Wow. Yeah, and wow. so our other, her two brothers came to visit her, and I knew her brothers. I'd never met her, and they came in, and we were playing cards and stuff, and they said, let's just get out of here. Let's just go get drunk or high or something, mm-hmm. you know, and we both checked ourselves in. We could check ourselves out, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're talking to her, this and that, and we're never going to change nothing anyway. We must just go, you know, have a good time, blah, 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 you know. And so she gets all excited, and they just take off, you know. And I'm just frozen there, and all of a sudden I grab one of the staff, and I said, I need a one-on-one right now. <laughs> so I went into a room with the staff and said, tell me it's not true, you know, because I had a daughter, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to believe that, you know, this had to keep repeating. Mm-hmm. So that was my biggest motivator, I think, was that, you know, I had a child and I wanted to change her yeah. life. And I knew I had yeah. to be healthier, you know, or I was going to just pass the mental health, regardless of if I would say abusing her, um, I couldn't properly take care of her because of my mental health, you know. So I knew sure. I could getting the health help. Yeah. So I wasn't in resistance, and I think that's a, one of the biggest things is, you know, being open to getting help. Because, yes. you know, somebody can call me up and, you know, I can try to help them, try to help them, try to help them, and give them a whole bunch of ideas, and they keep saying, no, that ain't going to work, that ain't going to work, that ain't going to work. But they're not willing to try anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Or saying that might work or, you know, yeah, I'll go do that. You know, you can't help somebody that doesn't want help. It's the same with AA, you know. We get people, a lot of people in there that are court or they don't want to be here. Now, sometimes it's yeah. things in and they do be sober, you know. Um, but, but there's a lot of them that are just, you know, they come in kicking and screaming and then leaves kicking and screaming. <laughs> you know, mm. they're so glad to go and they don't have to go anymore and they got their papers signed every week and now they're not on probation anymore and they just go back out and use again. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pee in a cop, you know. Right. So what you mentioned right there, motivation, I think, is, so when I, um, you, you mentioned in the intro that I'm a TIR, Traumatic Incident Reduction Facilitator. I'm also a, mm-hmm. a trainer. And um, so Traumatic Incident Reduction is uh, a very focused uh, trauma-specific way 
of processing all kinds of experiences or stressors, you know, some things that are ongoing that impact us and some things that are specific that once we fully face them, it, it does shift us. We have less material that gets triggered. Um, and and so um, I bring this up because you, you said the motivation piece, you know, it works when one, a person is motivated. They know they want to feel better. They want to have uh, some have helped better physical, mental health, uh, relationships, be able any number of things. It works with that. And then when someone is not under the influence of something, so they can think clearly be, to be able to fully face or remember things oh, and, yeah. and for themselves put pieces together. Um, yeah. But the other piece, uh, I mentioned ego strain. You know, when we can kind of hold on to the discomfort of going through this process when um, we can follow directions <laughs> so that, because yeah. it's a facilitated process. Um, but that motivation piece is, is huge. When that is there, when a person is um, really wants to, um, to heal, to grow, especially, you know, in, you know, an accelerated kind of way, um, mm-hmm. that makes all the difference. And so yeah. su- suggestions. Um, I, th- I think you're talking about hope because, like, I always said when I came into the doors of AA, I was hopeless. I was a hopeless mm. alcoholic, and I knew I could not get sober, you know. Mm. And and when I walked in and I listened to my sponsor talk, I can't tell you one thing she said, but I cried the whole thing. And the one thing I got out of it was hope. Hope that I could get better. Yeah, you know, and some people really figure that this, this is the way I'm going to be the rest of my life. I really believe that this is just the way mm-hmm. I'm going to be the rest of my life. I'm going to be in this kind of pain. I'm going to have these flashbacks. I'm going to have body memories. I'm going to be tormented every single day, you know, mm-hmm. and and not believing there was, you know, yeah, it was a tough ride through, but you know, mm-hmm. the other side, you know, well, you know, uh, some would say, you know, people say that they're survivors. I show survivors. You know, they're like eating bugs and stuff, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, like going on or, you know, being stranded out in the ocean and then you get onto the land and you like crawl off, you, you know, you crawl into the water and you get on land or yeah. whatever and you crawl on and you got goop all over your hair, you know, and seaweed and you're starving and everything else. And then you get up on the land and, you know, you you find some place to get shelter and you finally find some place to, you know, get back to your home or whatever and cleaned up and you know can start living again but you know Mm. we never think that we're going to start living again that's the big Mm. part yeah well one i've had plenty of discussions with people about the those shows that this you know a a contrived way to show that people are resilient or you know but a lot of people live in survival in terrible conditions where it is life and death it is real and so those shows to me are fairly Mm. meaningless um, but yeah. that, that point. Well, about, you know, in a certain amount of time, you're going to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And that there is a safety net. And, yeah. But it seems and like you, you, use the, you use the safety net just by reaching out several times, different ways, different right. groups. Right. Yeah. Right. And many different groups because, you know, I was a survivor of prostitution. You know, mm-hmm. I was a um, battered woman. 
and you know mm-hmm. I started at a women's shelter and you know was the support group there and uh, you know when there was a volunteer opportunity I said yeah I'll, you know I'll do that get involved mm-hmm. I made some friends there you know and uh, we started doing it it was called outreach program and you know we would go to the shelter and talk to the women and I I went out and went to a uh, flower shop and asked them if they had any roses and they had a bunch of flowers that they weren't going to use, you know, they were going to be ready to throw them out, but they were still pretty, you know. Hmm. And I grabbed them and yeah, I went to a garage sale and bought all these vases and stuck them in there and brought them over for Mother's Day and, hmm. you know, just different things like that. And then everywhere we put on this huge Christmas party, we had 150 women and children hmm. um, and gave um, um, had cookies and stuff there and we had Santa Claus there and what we did is we took a picture with the mom and the children of each family you know mm. and uh, it was really because you know whether they had a man you know we, I don't know I always thought the family was a mom dad and kids you know so I went to the shelter and they called me a family with me and my two kids mm. it kind of threw me mm-hmm. off <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so we took pictures of the families and gave them the pictures and one lady came on me three years after she had been to one of them and says, uh, you know what, those three years, those are the only pictures I've ever had my, I ever had in my kids because I couldn't afford a camera or the film. Mm. So you just don't know what you're giving people when it could be the smallest. You know, you think it's the smallest thing. It could mean a lot to somebody. Yeah. I was volunteer with the Lions Club, too, and uh, there's a Lions uh, Club camp. Kids with disabilities up in Kerrville, Texas. And uh, anyway, so we go out and do the fairs every year in our little area we were in. And we had so many parents come up to us and say, Our kids still talking about that. They went five years ago to their, they're still talking about how much fun they had, you know? Because hmm. all the kids can go for free. And uh, yeah, they just, they just enjoy themselves so much. Just, it's nice to get that feeling, you know, of of helping somebody. But, yeah. you know, but now I can do that, but I can still take care of myself, you know, and, and you know, go beyond just food, shelter, and clothing. I can, you know, say, hey, I think I'll take myself up out for a cup of coffee. Think mm. I get, you know, I really worked hard this week in my house cleaning or today or whatever. I think I'll take myself out for dinner. Yeah. You know? I mean, or it's just, you know, a really nice day. I think we'll go for a walk and do something fun, you know. Yeah. So I, I am happy to hear I mean, that, that you have that, and it's a good example for others. And I, I want to read another uh, poem. Yeah. We've kind of got a poem sure. theme happening. It's not my own. It's from Hafiz, who's, I believe, a 14th century Persian poet, writer, mm-hmm. and really sounds like more of a mystic um and, and this may sound aspirational, but it's this idea of self-care and recognizing that we are good and sacred and be, could be celebrated. So here it is. It says, I sometimes forget that I was created for joy. My mind is too busy. My heart is too heavy. Heavy for me to remember that I've been called to dance, the sacred dance for life. I was created to smile, to love to be lifted up, others up. O sacred one, untangle my feet from all that ensnares. Free my soul that we might dance and that our dancing might be contagious. So, I, I, you know, I, I hear in you 
you know, this being freed up, but, um, you know, having come through a lot, but, but that, um, the more untangled we are, you know, the, the better for others. There's that poem by Marion Williams, uh, our yeah. deepest fear, you know, that idea that, um, you know, who are we to shine and who are we not to be? You know, the, the more that we are, I forget her wording, um, but the more that we are freed up, it, it gives others permission. And so right. It's, it's, right. it's both a gift right. for ourselves, but also it's part of being contagious for others. Yeah. Being a resource. Yeah. And I think that that's a big part of the, um, going to support groups and stuff. Cause you can see, you know, how other people are learning to take care of themselves too, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure I read this before, but this is the serenity prayer from Nazca. It says, please grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly the courage to forgive myself because I always try my best and the wisdom to know that I am a good person with a kind heart. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that we can say to ourselves, which isn't, you know, looking in the mirror and saying you're beautiful or whatever, you know, I'm a good person with a kind heart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be an extraordinary, you know, Mother Teresa kind of person, you know, um, just, you know, even going by somebody on the street and smiling at them and saying hi. You know, you don't know if that person's ever had many people smile at them. Yeah. Or said something kind to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's reality. We just don't know. Um, yeah. So I have... Uh, I have two little Bashans, and I got a little girl, and I was going to breed her, but I was going to wait till she was a year old. But my male decided that we weren't waiting. <laughs> so there's a, there was a 40% chance she was pregnant. Well, she's pregnant. <laughs> okay. We're going to be having puppies. <laughs> nice. And uh, so um, that's quite the experience. Um, well, <laughs> I, so here's, here's, um, another, I, I happen to have my, my, my phone, my work phone, cause I sometimes get these quotes from different, you know, writers, philosophers, spiritual teachers. And, you know, I'm back to thinking about the healing journey and, um, and the compassion that is the the common ground, I think, of any um, authentic uh, tradition, spiritual tradition. So this is from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, a Buddhist who's now you know, passed, but uh, he was, and his monks were uh, persecuted um, for practicing you know, Buddhism. Um, and his whole community was about compassion as, you know, as, so is the Dalai Lama. So is so many traditions, but this is about growth and change. It says when you plant lettuce, if it does not grow well, you don't blame the lettuce. You look for reasons. It's not doing well. It may need fertilizer or more water or less sun. You never blame the lettuce yet. If we have problems with our friends or family, we blame the other person. But if we know how to take care of them, 
they will grow well like the lettuce. Blaming has no positive effect at all, nor does trying to persuade using reason and argument. That is my experience. No blame, no reasoning, no argument, just understanding. If you understand and you show that you understand, you can love and the situation will change. And I think, you know, that's back to, uh, you know, we, we've been blamed or, you know, have interpreted that we blame ourselves for so many mm-hmm. things. Um, and, and such an important key to healing is um, to, to be, if not from ourselves, you know, that we learn compassion from others, that then we can believe it and, and practice it for ourselves. And mm-hmm. I think I heard you say that with your sponsor. You know, yeah. Someone who saw something that you couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And then little by little it becomes true, something true for you. But I, I, don't know, I just offer that as like for anybody who might be listening or any of us, you know, just to appreciate that um, that there are, are stages and in, in growth, just like you know that happens in our bodies you know, that we develop and our minds we develop that inside us this this core um, of who we are, this goodness, call it sacredness, that continues to grow, and that's. Yeah, and sometimes we can forget that that's who we are—that we're created for for good. Um, right. I uh, I um, like this one. You know, it's about. Um, you know, I think sometimes a lot of times we compete with other people. You know, um, and a lot of people are like really kind of looking at Facebook and going, you know, not everybody's life is those happy pictures all the time. You know. Yeah. And feel like you have to compete against everybody. And it says, a flower does not think of competing with the flower next mm. to it. It just blooms. Mm-hmm. And it's Zen Shin. Yeah. Just blooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think you know, the support groups, the um, this kind of online community and the meetings that happen from it, um, they're they're about just each person sharing, you know, their their growth, their learning, and it's mm-hmm. not, I mean it could feel like a competition, I guess. But, um, yeah, and that's what I like about NASCA by saying, you know, none of our experiences are worse or better than anybody else's. You know, child abuse should never happen to anyone. You know, yeah. and that's why, like, you know, like the poem I wrote was, you know that I like sharing our commonalities rather than our differences. Yeah. And the reason why I brought my dogs is because my male dog I got first about two and a half years ago. And uh, I got him as a service dog. And I had him in the assisted living. And I told him three months before I was getting him that I was getting a service animal. And uh, they were real upset with me. And then when I got him, they were more upset. And every day was just like, felt like hell. You know, they were just, mm tormenting me constantly about it and tried to kick me out a couple times and um, wouldn't let me bring him down where I got my medication and just all this stuff. I was fighting, fighting, fighting and kept saying, you know, I have a right. This Americans with Disabilities Act. You know, I got the papers mm. up in my room. We don't care about your damn papers. We're not looking at We don't care. We don't care. You know, and I had to display a lot of attorney to fight for me. And I mean, it was exhausting, you know, 
And mm. when I found this place and there's a fenced-in yard and everything, I was just so happy to get out of there. But, you know, I don't know. The place was really bad anyway. They weren't feeding us right or they didn't do any of the activities they were supposed to and all this stuff. And they were messing mm. with our meds and it wasn't a good place to begin with. But, you know, just the fact that I was fighting for my dog, <laughs> wow. you know, and, and saying, I, you know, I have a right to have him, I think kept me like motivation <laughs> mm-hmm. and also we had a organization out here that helped with like um animal costs you know like veterinarian care just regular veterinarian care and things and uh anyway they was talking to them once and they says yeah they've realized that with seniors and people with disabilities they, they take better care of themselves when they have a pet you know mm-hmm. because they get out and take them for walks and you know they play with them and of course you know playing with the animal could be a really therapeutic, you know, regardless whether it's your service animal, emotional support animal, I mm-hmm. think they all, mm-hmm. you know, can be in tune with you and, um, you know, when you feed them, they get all happy and, you know, yeah. it, can, it can be good for your spirits too. And uh, so, and a lot of people don't know if they have uh, um, PTSD that they can uh, get a service animal. Mm. They uh, know, most of them know they can get emotional support animal, but not a lot of people know that that also qualifies you for a service animal, and they do not need mm. to be trained. They do not need a vest. They do not need any of that mm. stuff they say you need that you can send in all your money for. <laughs> and I know this one lady saved all of this money so she could set in for the certificate and everything. Well, it's a doctor's certificate from the psychiatrist that doesn't even know you. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, it's paperwork that if you get caught with, you can get fined because the mm-hmm. ADA does not support that paperwork. Um, and all you need to do is get a letter from your psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to be trained or anything because the only requirement, according to the ADA, is that your service animal um, comforts, when you, comforts you when you have a panic or an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. That's it. The end. Yeah, and I've argued with so many people. They're this and that, and this and that, and they bring up all these. And finally, I just said, you know what? I stopped arguing and I stopped trying to convince them. I said, if you don't believe me, look up the Americans with Disabilities Act. I said, and if if I'm wrong, come back and tell me because I'd hate to be giving out the wrong information. <laughs> Nobody's mm-hmm. ever come back to me. <laughs> mm. Well, this I appreciate you giving that background. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mentioned earlier, I mean, one of the big um, outcomes of of some kind of trauma is that we become disconnected um, and we can lose our sense of, of meaning. You know? So who are we if we're not connected to ourselves or to others and sense of purpose? Mm-hmm. And so pets can, can serve as a kind of connection, you know, especially yeah. dogs who can be you know present and listen without judgment, which is very healing and it would be a good example for anybody. Um, yeah. But so to be connected is, is not a small thing. And, you know, we share parts of the brain, um, you know, the the basic, you know, limbic and lizard brain and then the mammalian brain with, with uh, so many pets. And so there's, there's that basic connection that um, I think can help to settle, help the person to, um, to be regulated again because they're paying attention yeah. to something that is you know, connected to us. 
Well, yeah, you know, like when I woke, woke up in the morning, my dog would be all happy and jump on me. And you know what I mean? It was just like, there's somebody there that, you know, cared that I was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I know a lot of people tell me, you know, well, I like animals better than I do people, you know. And uh, it's like, that's okay, <laughs> you know, because it's a way to, you know, like you said, connect, you know, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're connecting is, is really important. And, um, I read this one thing that the lady says, I don't, uh, I don't put all my problems on Facebook. I just go out and tell my squirrels, <laughs> hmm. you know, and I feed the squirrels so I could kind of relate to that. <laughs> hmm. But, but I enjoy being out in nature, you know, um, for me, that's really relaxing. So I made a meditation area in my yard for myself, you know. And every once yeah. in a while, I'll go, you know, I got the most berries down there, and I made a little garden for them, and then I just bought some white rat, rocks and made a little pathways for them. Mm. <laughs> wow. You know, yeah. So, you know, to me, that's really a lot of fun working in the yard and uh, things like that, you know. Yeah. There's um, the, the, what you're pointing to are all these really – um, helpful healing practices about connecting and creating yeah. something beautiful and getting mm-hmm. outside. Um, there's uh, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, you know, however many years ago, there was this list that um, went out through, I don't know, maybe it was Facebook or something, but it, it was for like quarantine since people were feeling so stressed out. But I think they're useful and, and practical for all kinds of, healing work you know so one of the points is uh, there's six points like here's your your to-do list uh, it says what am i grateful for today it's a good practice of course it actually changes the you know the way that our emotions and chemistry you know, works for mm-hmm. us uh, number two is who am i checking in on or connecting with today so the idea of connection mm-hmm. number three um, what expectations of normal am i letting go of today there's a certain amount of, yeah, just being present. What was that one again? Yeah. It says, uh, what expectations of, quote, normal am I letting go of today? You know, oh, let's so go. Okay. Just being, being present. Um, and you know, 12-step might say let go of my God, but, um, yeah, just the idea is that we uh, can pay attention um, and see what is changing or what is continuous that, that is important. Number four, how am I getting outside today? So you mentioned, you know, you know I, I work with people who are at the end of life, you know, and yeah. they appreciate, you know, many people, I mean, just appreciate the simple being outside to be able to connect with nature, to be in touch right. with something much bigger that reminds them that we're not just this body and just this time. Um, and related, number five, how am I moving my body today? So whether that's exercise or gardening or something, you know, using this amazing body that we have. Number six, what yeah. beauty am I either creating, cultivating, or inviting in today? Um, so you described creating this garden. And, yeah. Um, and I think you said before you have artwork as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I know that when I was in the nursing home, um, I was um, um, on two, well, two occasions. The one occasion, um, I had an ileostomy where they put that bag on the side of you. Mm-hmm. My um, chest things were tied in knots, and uh, they had to do an emergency one. And uh, 
they have to cut you from the inside out and you have to heal from the inside out. And it was pretty bad. And I couldn't mm-hmm. get out of get out of bed. Um, they finally got me into a wheelchair and they they had this exercise thing and a lot of the most of the people that were in the nursing home were in wheelchairs. And uh they did they did exercise with us, you know. They're very mm-hmm. like, Oh, I can't do exercise, you know, that's too much, that's too much or whatever. I mean we sat in the wheelchairs and just moved our arms and our head and our necks, you mm-hmm. know. It's like, you know, just do what you can. Um exercise doesn't have to be this big routine or you know. My girlfriend invited me to do the step the step thing over at her gym. All it was is going up and down the steps, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can go up and down the steps at home, you know, mm-hmm. and get my housework done, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't have to come all the way over here to get up and down on a piece of wood, you know. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize that, you know, we are moving. We are moving our bodies um, and, and give ourselves more credit. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, if it's intentional, I mean, it's especially. I mean, it's work out and everything if you can, but I'm just trying to say that some people, you know, limit themselves by saying, well, you know, I'm not in that good of a shape to go for a three-mile mm-hmm. walk, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was starting with going one block down the road and back. Yeah. And then one day, I decided to go out with my walker, and I walked down the road, and I sat down every so often, went as far as I thought I wanted to, and then came back, and you know, sat down on the way back when I wanted to and just looked around and just took in what was around me and got mm. back. And then I, I Googled how far I'd went. I'd went five miles. Mm. <laughs> I would have never thought I could walk five miles. Mm. Yeah. Granted, yeah. I did sit down quite a bit, but I, you know. Um, we're you know, we're I, more capable of things than we can imagine. Yeah. And um, for a while I've been thinking about from what you said, it reminded me of uh, you know, different times where I accomplished something. And you mentioned you're going to celebrate, you said, 37 years? Um, yeah. Yeah. So there, there are some things that we can do that can be accomplishments, and they're good. Um, yeah. Worth, worth celebrating, worth recognizing. But the, I guess yeah. the question that I've been has been in my mind for a bit, has been, um, you know, as a result of these things that you've done, and I, and I know I can answer it for myself as well, and maybe Annie as well. Uh, yeah. Who have, you be, who have you become? You know, like all these things that you've done mm-hmm. to connect, to heal, to help others, you know, mm-hmm. to rebuild and so on. Those are all well, important. Well, I can tell you one um, thing. I changed, I changed my name. A while back when I started speaking, because my biological father was still out there and I was scared to death that he was going to find me. So I looked up a name in a Christian name book and I changed my name. Hmm. Victoria means victorious. Mm-hmm. And Ruth was my middle name and I kept it, which means spirit. And hmm. Kelly means warrior. So it's victorious hmm. spirit warrior. And I didn't hmm. feel like that when I got the name, but I feel like it now. So that's my answer. Hmm. <laughs> Mm. That's who I am today, a victorious spirit warrior. Well, thank you. So, and just one thought, an association I have with that is, uh, and it relates the warrior 
is different from a soldier is different from some killer, yeah. right? So, I mean, right. It's uh, yeah. someone who has uh, endured some kind of wound has grown. Yeah. I mean, there's an expression, follow no one who has no star, scars. Um, and, and a warrior is someone then who has compassion, who um, understands the, the possibilities of destruction, of violence, and so on. And mm-hmm. and pro- and has has not just survived that, but has has grown. But isn't then out looking for revenge necessarily? It's right. To be able to be a resource, to be able to protect, to have that full um, energy and force, life force. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's wow. Well, that's interesting too, because I was talking to my psychiatrist today, and I was telling her that. You know, my dad was a very, very intelligent man, and I was always, always afraid if somebody told me I was even smart, let alone intelligent, you know, and uh, I was really scared of that because he was so evil, you know, hmm. and it just, it connected, you know, and then one day it just connected and I went, it's okay to be smart and intelligent. Hmm. It's what you choose to do with that intelligence. Is hmm. it just good? And do good for mankind, and do good for the world, and good for yourself, and all. Mm-hmm. Or, or do you choose the other? And we make choices like that all the time. So, and the other part of my name, the spirit part, is I'm a spiritual being. You know, mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. like we say. I, I don't know if other people do, but I say I'm a spiritual being in a human body. You know, living in this mm-hmm. human experience. Right. Yeah. Well, but you, to get in touch with that inner spirit for me is just yeah. a lot of times just being calm. You know, like I tell people, prayer and meditation is no big deal. I said, prayer is just asking, asking for guidance, and meditation is just listening for the answer. But you have to quiet down mm-hmm. your mind enough that you can mm-hmm. hear the answer. Mm-hmm. Well, when you bring up, I, I, you bring up all kinds of really, I think. <laughs> really great you know, points and insights. The idea of not everybody who is intelligent is moral, but everybody yeah. who is moral is intelligent. So I mean, you know, we have to discern. Um, if you're moral, you're thinking of other people. And mm-hmm. to do that, uh, you have to make you know, decisions. You have to analyze. You have to Prioritize. You have to do all kinds of critical thinking, but it's in service of, uh, in service of, you know, compassion of helping others. And, right. Um, and so intelligence doesn't, in itself, um, is not as important um, mm-hmm. as as a lot of intelligent people who do a lot of harm. That's right. Um, so. Annie, would you join in? Who who have you become yes, as a result of your life experience? And well, growth? sure. Um, I I have become a completely different person. It's like it's like the old Annie went away, and then now there's a new one. Um, because the person that I was hid in the house, terrified, and couldn't talk on the phone because I was just so afraid of people, and. And now I'm a person that can talk in the radio, and I'm not afraid of people. I like people. 
I like to meet new people and talk to them. It's just amazing because I could not talk to people. I was just terrified, really debilitated. And mm. um, and I, I wasn't helping anybody, you know, and now I am. Because mm. I couldn't help anybody. I was I was too much in need myself to help anybody else. Yeah, yeah. And what else? Today, today I'm happy. I was never mm. happy before. I was I was always I suffered from depression and um and I just I hated myself and I hated my life and I hated my job and it was just I was just so unhappy. Mm. And now I'm happy about everything. I love everything. It's mm. I mean, if I had the same job I would probably love it now because it's me, it's not the job. It's me, mm-hmm. and look, you know, being positive and optimistic. Yeah, I went to visit Annie, and she's got a gorgeous yard. She's got a beautiful yard and house, mm. and it's very nice. Her and her mm. son built yeah. a waterfall that goes in. It almost looks like it's a river. It goes quite a ways, and it's just it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Beautiful. She's got a beautiful yard and. I mean, you could divide it up in like six different little areas for sitting, and I mean, mm. it's just gorgeous. Thank you. She put a lot of care into the way she set it up. It's a hobby, mm. you know. It's something that I I look forward to doing when I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, having to do work and stuff like that. I don't see yeah. it gardening as work. I see it as a joy. And yeah. I just learned today that plants can hear. I was listening to a mm. a book about the science of it. Mm. Plants can hear. I'm just so amazed yeah. by that that I have to tell everyone. Maybe you yeah. already knew that. Well, <laughs> they they talk here plants, you know. And uh, um, yeah, I tell people talk to your plants. Because they can hear you, you know. <laughs> yeah, I never knew there's any different bases, but I always believed it. <laughs> yeah, they they said well, that when the buzzing of a bee, mm-hmm. even if it's not a real bee, even if it's only a buzzing sound, the flower puts nectar out. Mm. Response wow. to the sound mm-hmm. and other stuff too. That was just one of the ones. Yeah. 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 Wow. I feel well, like the door that. has opened because now we know that plants and animals, too, are communicating with each other in ways that we had no idea. Yeah. And it's, right. it's so amazing and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, a book I just uh, read called The Flowering Wand. It sounds like it reads like a dissertation, like someone it's very plain and poetic, but it's very much rooted in like look at the root system in fungus or mushrooms and plants and, you know, that all of this um, is what sustains us and how disconnected we've become from that. And and it's, it's kind of a call for all people, but kind of focusing on the, the toxic masculine, how, how we need to like rethink uh, or just reconnect, go back to connection and having right. a sense of a different sense of meaning in our identity. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but that, yeah, we're, we're all connected. That, that is, I mean, the, the remedy um, 
and the opposite of what trauma does. You know, it disconnects us. And and here, you know, the, and that's I hear from both of you being call it wounded healers. That's how I would identify mm-hmm. in some ways. But mm-hmm. part of that healing is is becoming more whole with ourselves, with our experience, with others, with nature, with animals. And, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. interesting too how you said that the the flower knows that the bee's coming by the sound and stuff and opens up and gives us its nectar or whatever. It's like it's able to give some of it and it's not dying because of it either, you know? Mm, mm. I, I don't know, that just came to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's... It's like, you know, nature works together. I mean, you know, we could kill off a whole species of animals, which, you know, turns the whole e- ecosystem off into a whole different direction, um, you know, because it's like, you know, same thing we can do with each other. <laughs> You know, it's like when I went to school, they said we could blow up the world three times with the bombs mm, we have. Right. And I thought, is it once enough? <laughs> what are we building yeah. bombs for if we could already blow it up three times? <laughs> you know, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. But there's a lot of things that don't. <laughs> mm. Well, you're not alone in that. And, and in the remedy, the Dalai Lama, I mean, a couple of years ago, he was here in San Diego and he basically said, you know, we've lived the past century and domination and competition and destruction and you know the road ahead is all about you know our interconnection our cooperation and Uh what we can do to sustain you know we're one community right yeah right so that in our own way it's whatever we can do we are um contagious we're promoting you know by our example and by our resources so thank you both Definitely. I'm going to say good night, everybody. I'm I'm going to hit the music. music. Is that okay, Victoria? Yep. Yep. Thank you, Jaime, for coming on. And thank you, Annie, for hosting. And everyone have a good night. (laughs) See you again on the radio. Good night. Good night. Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.